Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 500. The mantra is, you are perfect for this moment. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am so excited and revved up to have a very special guest today on Cars Yeah, my 500th show here on Cars Yeah, Tommy Kendall. Tommy, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I sure am. All right. Great to have you here. Tommy Kendall is an American race car driver and television broadcaster best known for his IMSA GT Championship and the SCCA Trans Am Series, where he dominated in the 1990s. He ran in 14 NASCAR Winston Cup Series races, the Bush Series, and raced at the AMP Bathurst 1000 and the American Le Mans Series, plus the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Tommy's been a television analyst for Champ Car, a host on Speed Test Drive, and on numerous television shows, including Speed TV's Setup and Wind Tunnel, Fox Sports Driven, A Race Without Boundaries, and recently, a very cool show I just watched, Porsche 911, The Icon in Evolution, with Danny Sullivan and past Cars Yacht guest Patrick Long. And in 2015, Tommy was an inductee in the Motorsports Hall of Fame of America. Tommy, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Before we get into all the questions, would you take a brief moment to share a little bit more about your incredible history of racing and broadcasting and all the fun you have with cars and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, first off, let me say thank you for having me on. I'm humbled to be the 500th guest. Hey. <laughs> it's a big year for 500 with the 100th anniversary of the Indy 500 coming up. Yeah, it's really cool. I remember when our country turned 276. I remember thinking, God, you know, I was in my early teens, 12 or 13, 14, whatever, and I thought 200 years, God, that's like more than, that's like 15 lifetimes. Well, <laughs> now that I'm pushing 50, oh, yeah. that doesn't seem like that long. So funny how that all works. I know, I know. Time flies by. That was my uh, graduation year for high school, 1976. Oh, crazy. And, uh, and and it's like someone has their finger stuck on the fast forward button. If I could figure out how to get them to lift it. But uh, uh, all yeah. good. You know, I was fortunate to have, you know, uh, my career uh, was, was actually pretty brief, but it was uh, it was pretty concentrated. And, and uh, I couldn't have asked for really a better one. Uh, I had my big accident in the middle. A lot of people think I don't wouldn't like to talk about that. But even though that was a painful experience, uh, all's well that ends well. And I wouldn't change a thing. So I've got into it late go-karting by go-kart standards. I wasn't 15 until I started driving go-karts. But then because my dad was doing some sports car racing, I got into the cars when I was 17 and, uh, and had my first IMSA champ- first two IMSA championships when I was 19. And so I got a late start, but then got going and cranking. And then had, other than the accident, had you know really pretty much uninterrupted success with the you know, the three GTU titles, GTS title, and the four Trans Am ones. So, oh, yeah. you know, I now do a lot of, you know, not a lot, but some public speaking and emceeing. And mm-hmm. and I've, I've got stories and stories and stories. And people say, how do you have all these stories? And I think of myself, I'm like, you know, it's really, I don't know. But I I usually say, what do you want to hear? Do you want to hear Paul Newman? Do you want to hear Dale Earnhardt? Do you want to hear Danica Patrick? Do you want to hear Paul 
Tracy, and I've just been blessed with uh, however it's worked out with just this uh, this really un- unreal, interesting, uh, fun life. Just uh, very, very fortunate. You know, you are, and um, I'll tell our listeners, uh, Tommy and I actually shared a meal. I'm not sure if you remember this, but I sure do. Years ago at SEMA, we used to get invited to the uh, top restaurant there in Las Vegas and by uh, Auto Week magazine, and you actually sat across from me at a table that I was positioned at, and I'll tell our listeners, Tommy has some great stories because I just sat there all night listening to your stories. It was a very cool evening for me. A lot of fun. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. It's some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. And it's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, Tommy, take the wheel. Well, this one, it's kind of interesting. I don't know if it's really a success quote, but it's, it's, it's sort of instructs how I think. And it's my dad, something my dad said, he says, there's no such thing as right and wrong, but there are consequences. Mm. And so it, it really is useful. It was really useful in the racing world because you can get caught up in sort of ideology. And now this informs a lot of my thinking about other things like life and politics, which we won't get into, but <laughs> sometimes you get, you know, this is how you're supposed to do this. And there's a lot of conventional wisdom that's not actually right. Right. And so if you can look at things sort of unemotionally and just analytically, and so it, it's like it, sometimes things that should work well don't work well, mm. and things that shouldn't work well do. And one example, like being really smooth in a race car, yeah. it, it almost it doesn't seem fair because it's, it's not as dramatic as being saw in the wheel and sliding and, you know, and, and so forth. And right. so I remember during one of my, you know, a lot of my, uh, runs, we'd have all the success and the car was always really stable looking and I'd get all these allegations that I had traction control and that I was cheating. Uh. So I, I used to always say to people, to myself, I'd say, you know what? A sliding car is, is not as fast. If fans were in charge, it would be because right. that is more dramatic and more heroic looking, mm-hmm. but it's not my job to teach these other guys how to do this, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. and so that was a good example there's no right or wrong, but there are consequences. So it kept you from kind of getting sidetracked by sort of conventional wisdom and ideology. Conventional wisdom's right a lot of the time, but if you can understand the areas it's not, you can really make some hay. And I made the hay. That was one of the reasons I made hay in the racing. It works well in the investment world as well. Um, so it's, it's a really good thing. It's, it's easy to get caught up in things because you're emotional about things. But if you can sort of separate that out, no right or wrong, but there are consequences. You know, it's great advice your father gave you, and it works well with people, obviously, as well, when you're having to interact with people. But I remember when I started vintage racing, my instructor told me two things that are kind of in line with this. One is pretend like you're racing in a bathtub full of water, and you don't want to spill that water on acceleration or braking. You want to be really smooth. The other one's put an egg between your foot and the gas pedal and the brake pedal. You don't want to break that egg. So those are two pieces of advice that I always, advice I always try to keep in my mind about being smooth and consistent and uh, versus the guy in front of me who's back into his wagon all over the place and the arms and elbows are all over the place. So great advice from your dad. There is a middle ground because different tracks and different cars require a little bit more aggression. Yeah. But even on those, 
uh, a velvet hammer sort of approach, aggressive but still smooth and never losing the smoothness. And so uh, it's, it's hard to do at the limit but it's what you're shooting for. Very well said. Well, let's go back in time a little bit and talk a little bit about what instigated your passion for racing. Is there a pivotal moment when you look back in your life when you decided, oh, man, I want to be a race car driver? Yes, um, for sure. And it, it, I've explained this a lot recently, and it's, it's hard to remember what the world was like 30 years ago or 35 years ago. And, and by that, I mean, right now, with the internet and with the TV, the hundreds of channels and so forth, there's really nothing standing in the way of people finding what they love. Whereas if you, if you reset back to, you know, when I was growing up uh, in the, in the 70s when I was in grade school, there was two races on TV. There was the Indy 500, Daytona 500. There was a handful of car magazines that came out once a month. There was no internet. So right. the, the way you got exposed to things is someone you knew, a neighbor, a relative, a friend, had to be involved in it. And racing wasn't that common. So I mean, you could literally grow up, it'd be 20 before, you know, you have your driver's license and are out exploring, you know. But more or less, whatever went on in your hometown is kind of what you knew about. Mm -hmm. And so in my case, my dad was always into cars, and he liked it. He didn't have a, a lot of money when I, at first. But then I remember all of a sudden in our life, just all of a sudden, his business, he got fired, and then he actually had to go out on his own, and it was a really tough time. But then things started getting good, and all of a sudden, the, the cars changed, and it went from <laughs> his LTD to he built a building for Datsun at the time, and, and he got one of the first 240Zs. Oh, nice. And uh, so that was the first one, and then we had a neighbor that had a son my age who was uh, Pete Smith of the Bob Smith automotive dealership family oh, yeah. and Pete was the Porsche dealer and so Pete always had the killer cars at the little league games you oh, know yeah and and so all of a sudden I was like oh my and so every car he and so my dad and him were friends and when my dad started doing well Pete said yeah you gotta buy a Porsche and so my dad's like okay what do I buy you know he <laughs> bought a 74 Carrera and then uh, the guy that he bought the Carrera from had bought a turbo and that's why he sold the Carrera, the first turbo in 76 and then yeah. when that guy was buying the 78 he sold my dad his 76 and so <laughs> my dad kind of got into porsches and then pete's like uh, you know you ought to go to bob bondurant racing school and my dad's like okay you know yeah. and then he ended up buying an rsr oh my dad didn't have a license and pete says i'll tell you what i'll race it for you and <laughs> that was his plan all along <laughs> Uh, it might have been, yeah. <laughs> and, but without Pete Smith, I would probably never have discovered racing. And so we oh, went up wow. to Sears Point in 1980 uh -huh. to watch Pete drive this RSR, and that was the moment my life changed. Oh, I man. saw race cars and sports car racing. Yeah. And, you know, it was back in the day, you know, John Fitzpatrick and Ted Field and Danny and Gaius and the Interscope cars and, oh, yeah. and Hobbs and Redmond and, and so Klaus Ludwig. And, and I mean, at that point, like I said, I didn't really know this existed yeah. because, you know, before there was, unless you stumbled on it, you wouldn't. But yeah. once I saw that, that's all I could think about. And my dad, I think, saw that in my eyes. And, you know, and he basically said, you know, listen, this is something you do for fun. You can't make a living at this. Get good grades. Go to college, get good <laughs> grades. And yeah. I'll help you and we'll do this for fun. That was the deal, and that's when my life changed. I mean, that's all I could think about from that point on, really. Yeah. And uh, and he was wrong. His advice was not right about not being able to make a living at it. But it was it was good advice because the number of people that did and, and the chances were pretty slim. You know, I was fortunate I bucked the odds, but yeah. um, that's how it all started for me. Well, that's a pretty that's one of the best answers I've heard to that question. That is very cool to get to uh, 
to get introduced to racing up at Sears Point back in those days, the very special days for sure. Well, you talked about making a living at driving. So let's talk a little bit about some of the roads you've driven down, the races and so forth. Uh, I'd love for you to share with our listeners something that was a huge challenge or even a big failure that you faced along the way where you were maybe even ready to go, ah, this stuff, I'm going to hang this up. This isn't working. But the most important part of this question is how did you move through that? Even more important, what did it teach you? Well, there's a couple, actually. One of the obvious ones is my, my accident, which happened in the middle of 91. Mm-hmm. I had a GTP car at Watkins Glen. I had a hub failure. My career was just, you know, kind of on a straight up path. I'd won three GTU championships, signed with Chevy for the third one, and then Trans Am championship, moved to GTP, and was either going to go NASCAR or IndyCar with them. Yeah. And then I had this accident, broke both my legs, ankles, Ugh. you know, everything basically kind of mid-thigh down. Yeah. So that... It was just, you know, all of a sudden I was 24 years old and, and, you know, huge question marks. And so Mm -hmm. there, the lesson there was just, I mean, I never really got down. I just focused on what was right in front of me, which was therapy. You know, I was in physical therapy for eight hours a day for six or eight months. And you, you feel like you're just, you're making anyone who's ever broken a bone or whatever. You just think you're making no progress. But if you look back 30 days, all of a sudden you're like, wow, I've covered some ground. So, you know, it's a good lesson and literally just one foot in front of the other and you got to get started. And so I, uh, you know, I wanted to get back, so I didn't need the motivation, but so that, that was just sort of a lesson in really, how deep you can dig. We all have it in us, you know, yeah. in, uh, in football, when it's fourth and long, you punt, but in life you can't, <laughs> no. you know, so yeah. <laughs> you just gotta, you gotta grind it out. And, uh, and so that was that, but another one, my career, had, even after that, I, you know, I got back, um, I signed with Roush. I won the championship in 93, my first year with Roush, but there was the funding was tougher to come by. And so I was kind of told by Roush, if we don't come up with some money, that Ford money is not enough. You're going to be out of a deal here. And all I'd done my whole career was win. And now I'm thinking, I got to go find sell. Money. So, yeah. Yeah. So I was in Detroit and I was, you know, I, that's the only time I really had to try to find money, thankfully. And I didn't really do a very good job. We didn't, we found some. Um, but when I was back there, it, it basically was really about to totally undermine all my confidence. Mm. and and my wife said to me she said listen you know and i was i was basically away from home and anytime they'd say jump i'd say how high right and she basically said listen she kind of framed it up she said the money thing and, and doing all the right things and being where you're supposed to be is important but he, she said as long as you're fast they're going to keep you and if you're not they're going to fire you <laughs> and i said and it was like this aha moment and right. it just helped all the stuff's important, but what's really, really important, you better figure out how to be fast, faster than the other guy. Because at the end of the woman. day, <laughs> money's always hard to find and this, that, and the other. But, you know, I've seen it over and over and over at every driver's shoot that I've ever seen. They come in and they say, we're not looking for just the fastest guy. We want to see how you interact with the crew. We want to see how you, you know, how, what your technical knowledge is, but how you take care of the equipment. Every single shootout I've ever seen or been a part of, the fastest guy got the ride, even if he wrecked the car. Of course. Yeah, that's racing. So it's, you know, and thankfully, but it was just a reset for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I still worked on finding the money. I kept the majority of my emphasis on making sure I was, you know, doing what it took to make the car fast and me fast. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, 
I remember back having followed racing and followed you in racing that horrific accident. It's like, oh, no. But uh, it's awesome the way you ground back through. And, yeah, now I hear this from a lot of my racers, uh, guest racers here, is the challenge of going out and finding funding or bringing funding. And uh, things have certainly changed on that respect as well. But uh, very well put. Great story. And you talked a little bit about an aha moment. So let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum and look back at your career. And tell us about a real aha moment in your career, those steps that you took to turn that moment into a success? Well, it was, I mean, I can't really put my finger on a moment, but it it was tied to the same thing Mm -hmm. in terms of, um, there's so much emphasis on marketability and so forth. So I told you how that kind of cut through all that and it's all important, but really what matters is speed. And so one of the big things about speed is, is, is understanding how to extract the most out of the car. And I, I didn't really realize that I had developed this sort of skill, but um, Doug Louth, who was an intern at first and became our engineer at Roush and now heads up all of the engineering at Pratt & Miller, mm-hmm. you know, after I'd retired years later, he said, he says, you know, I've worked with a bunch of drivers and you did something that is the most valuable thing that I've ever had. At the end of every debrief, you can go around a track with 12 corners and there's three, at least three, some people say five phases of every corner, at least three phases, entry, middle, and exit. So that's 36 things to work on. And within those phases, you can talk about grip, bumps, all the transitions. Bottom line, you can, there's pages and pages and pages of stuff you can say is wrong with the car, even on a good lap. What you always did, he says, you always distilled it down to one single thing. And you said, if you give me more of this, or if you make this better here, I'll go faster. Hmm. And so it's, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a business management. It, it applies to politics. There's, there's a zillion things to work on. Mm-hmm. What's the highest value problem to work on? Uh, Some yeah. problems you can make 90% better, and it would gain you no time. Mm-hmm. Some you could make 20% better only, and it's three-tenths. Ah, okay. And so, you know, eventually you got to basically really understand what's going on, both with your driving and with the car, to be able to filter that stuff out and point you at it. But in, unless you're trying to understand that, you'll never get there. And I remember, think, you know, when I first started out, I was reading these books about setup and, and I'd talk about, and I'd say, I can't feel any of that stuff. I, I literally can't. I'm just hanging on trying to hit these spots on the track, you know, <laughs> right, literally. Right. But, those words ring in my ear. And as you got better, as your mind slowed things down, as you got some of the fundamentals in place, then you started feeling some of that stuff. And and if you weren't trying to cultivate that, you probably never would. So, you know, really figuring out what drives, what are the drivers of performance, if you will, Mm -hmm. pardon the pun, what are the drivers of lap time and, and so forth. So, you know, that, what, that was the opposite of an aha moment, but I'm, I'm giving someone an aha moment if that's that's what they want to pursue. It's an excellent thought because, as you said, even relates to business. You think about businesses, there's all these facets of business, but sometimes you need to just take a step back and focus on the one big thing that will make a change instead of chasing all these little things all the time. And that one big thing can really drive things forward in many ways. I've done some consulting for people in businesses. And typically when you come in from the outside, you think, well, what's the one big deal you need to focus on here? Get rid of all the other stuff and just focus on that. Just do that. And nine times out of 10, that takes a business to a new place. So very interesting. I love that. Great analogy. Now let's talk a little bit about your first really special race car. You've raced in so many different kinds of cars over time, but is there one car that you got into looking back that you went, oh man, this is a really cool car. 
Well, it was significant. It was special because it was so significant. In a weird way, it was a, it was an older car, and it's a car I actually ended up with. But it's the first the car I won my first two GTU championships in. It's a Mazda RX-7, and it, it that chassis had already won three GTU championships with Jim Downing and Jack Baldwin. And so, from a race car standpoint, it was kind of old and worn out. But it was also sort of a benchmark car. And so, I really got you know the way I even got in the car was a bunch of pretty fortuitous events. But I I'm in this car. And it was, it really was outdated, but something about it, all things considered, it still worked. And it, it had a steering box. It didn't have rack and pinion steering yet. It was still a unibody. It flexed like nobody's business. But it was really kind of my formative car. It's a car that I sort of grew into a, a, a pro driver in. You know, oh, wow. Before that, I was aspiring to, and it was an opportunity with a factory team. I had to bring a little bit of sponsorship from my dad. They really didn't want a young driver. Um, the crew had just won the championship and were, you know, that's what they expected. And so Dan Banks, who was the crew chief on that car, he was young, only a couple of years old. I was 19. He was 22 or three. Mm-hmm. We bonded and he became my crew chief for my entire career. Almost every race I ever won, he turned the wrenches on. Nice. And so it was all, it was just such a significant part of my career. Yeah. Um, and then when I signed with Chevrolet, uh, Clayton Cunningham, who owned the RX-7 that I was driving for, he was disappointed and bummed out. Um, he was also perpetually kind of cash-strapped. And so he ended up selling the car to my dad, and my dad loaned it back to him so that my <laughs> nice. brother could drive it the next year against me. Uh-huh. And uh, I want to say he paid like $15,000 or $17,000. It was like hmm. – it was, it was a really worn out and now at, by that point really not even very competitive yeah. car – when I graduated from UCLA and my dad gave it to me for graduation, he'd given my other brothers a new car to take them <laughs> off into their careers. And yeah. I'm like, dad, you're giving me a clapped out old race car. <laughs> Kidding, of course, because it was, it was so significant. Yeah. And uh, so I, I own that car. It's been socked away for 30 years. We're just busting it out of storage and, and starting to get it ready for maybe a vintage race or two. So oh, cool. it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's the winningest RX-7 in history. It's got a lot of history as well, so yeah. the fans will be happy to see it out oh, in public yeah. again. And I wondered what it would be like to drive an old unibody flexi car with 330 horsepower north torque now. So I'm going to get to find out what that feels like. In a little well, while. awesome. I hope we look forward to, or I look forward to seeing you out on the track at one of the events uh, when you get that car back together. Very cool that you still have it. Very nice and uh, great gift from your dad, too. He, maybe he knew something looking ahead. He did. <laughs> way, way he was a smart guy. Yeah, smart guy. for sure. Well, let's have a little bit of fun here. I know this next question is kind of like picking your favorite kid, but if you could go back, is there one race that really is your most memorable that stands out that's just adrenaline pumping and just, just something that you just always look back on with a smile? Uh, you know, probably two, one of which – I consider maybe the best race I ever ran and I didn't win it. And before that was, was, was my first win in that RX seven, um, was a real turning point because like I said, they, they really, Mazda was sort of against having a young driver, which is so weird given the obsession with youth now, but I got them to agree to let me run at Daytona and Sebring as the third driver. And then the guy they were hoping that would get in the car didn't come up with his little piece of the sponsorship and i could and they said well we really don't like a young driver so but we'll, he's leading the points after daytona sebring in miami so, so we'll go two more races and i went two more races was still leading the points and they said eh, we'll go two more races and then laguna seca in 86 was my first win 
And so that RX-7, it was before Alex Zanardi uh, made his pass into the corkscrew, but that's where I, I passed for the lead was into the corkscrew. Oh, wow. And won my first IMSA race. And uh, so that was certainly a significant one. Mm-hmm. My best race, in a way, arguably, Elkhart Lake, it was 95. And I had spun on the opening lap, and I was dead last. And without a yellow, I basically caught you know, the pack and was working my way up. And I, I caught Ron Fellows in third, and he had damaged the nose on his car, and so he wasn't at full strength. And I got a run on him, and he kind of blocked me up in the front straightaway. And he squeezed me towards the pit wall, and I crossed back to the left. And then, and then he kind of started squeezing back the other way. And I said, I'm going to go until I get to the grass, and then I'm not giving any more room. And so he kept coming, and then I held my ground, and it, we ended up hitting, and it turned him, and it shot him left off into the barrier at really high speed. Ooh. Back then, they didn't acknowledge blocking back in those days. There was no sort of policing of that. It was always the overtaking guy's fault for the most part. And so I ended up getting all the way to the lead, took the win from dead last, and uh, and then they took the win away from me after mm. the fact So mm. for that. And so I, even though I didn't get the trophy, I probably consider that my best race. Yeah, exciting. Well, Ron was my 470th guest, if I'm remembering. Well, yeah, yeah. So he's he's been on the show, but um, he recounts it differently. I know. Yeah, I think he might have. Yeah, just a little bit, but uh, we won't go there. <laughs> very cool, very cool. Well, let's talk about today and the future. What are you doing these days, and uh, what that really has you excited and fired up? Well, you know, I'm doing a little bit of a number of different things. I'm I'm doing the long races for Fox. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, Daytona, Sebring, Petit, and Le Mans. Cool which I like that Porsche show is the first show we've done on velocity. You know, I had the 10 or 12 year, I think run of test drive on speed channel and then Fox sports one. Yeah. It worked better on speed. It doesn't work as well on Fox one because it's sort of general sports rather than pure enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. So there's a chance that the nine 11 show will turn into, you know, more, more since velocity is much more like speed was. So there's that, you know, getting some of these cars ready. Uh, I, I guess I would say getting some of the cars ready for vintage racing. You know, I've, I, I really didn't have time and I was all my trophies, all my stuff, everything was scattered. It was in storage. I'm kind of bringing everything together and right now it just it looks like a total, you know, mess. <laughs> um, half of it's in Michigan. The good stuff, the cars and so forth are in Michigan with Dan Banks. And we're getting a handful of those ready for, from zip, for some vintage racing. But I'm also, it's fun going through. I've got trophies, suits, old post, win, win ads, posters, old pictures. I'm, it's, oh, like, yeah. it's like I'm on a treasure hunt in my own place <laughs> now. And it's really been fun. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, you know, kind of working on putting together, you know, a bit of a, a man cave, uh, you know, shop where I can, uh, you know, work on some of the stuff, but also just enjoy them as well. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Well, we'll look forward to having you uh, at all those events. Uh, you're always fun to watch. Always enjoy your commentary and thoughts and comments. And like I said to the listeners here, I really like the Porsche Shaw. I, was a, I am a Porsche fanatic, so it was fun to see you guys take those new cars out. And in our pre-show chat, you said you were very impressed with the new 911. Yeah, I was. Whenever you make a big change from normally aspirated to turbocharged mm-hmm. or this, you know, it's always fraught with, with risk and trepidation. You know, yeah. I think if, if, if Porsche was left to it, they probably wouldn't have. But, you know, the uh, the fuel fuel efficiency standards that are being mandated, right. there's no other way to get there. Yeah. And so that being said, you know, I, I much like a race car driver, all you care about is, is it better? Is mm-hmm. it faster? Mm-hmm. 
in cars, it's a little more emotional because, you know, people like the cars for different reasons, you know, you know, the nostalgia, whether it's the sound or whether it's uh, lightweight, you know, small old MG type or Miata type, everyone likes different things. So it's, it's a little more subjective rather than objective, just pure lap time like it is with a race car. Right. But I mean, the car is, is better in virtually every way. Performance wise, it's a substantial amount better, you know, mm-hmm. the, the torque curve. I mean, it's got, if you look at the, the torque curve of the old one, it was really peaky, and this one is just incredibly fat. So, yeah. as a race car driver, you know, area under the torque curve is is lap time, yeah. and so it's a lot faster around the track, even though it only has a little bit more power, a little bit more peak torque, the usable torque. So it's, I mean, it's better in every way. It's so good, and turbos are kind of like this. They're so good, you almost don't realize what all they're accomplishing because there's not as much drama. Mm-hmm. So the best way to appreciate the new one is like we did on the show is you drive the old one and the new one back to back. Yeah, I like the way you guys did that. It was really cool. How much better it is because if you just take it out, you'd be like, oh, wow, yeah, it's really good. But you would, it wouldn't – torque is harder to feel because it, it – you know, like a, the old turbos, like you know from yours – the way the old turbos come on is they have big lag and then huge kick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so even a, a car that had less power but much more usable torque would be faster than that car around the track, but it wouldn't feel as fast. Right. And so, you know, to, so the stopwatch uh, definitely helps you appreciate it uh, yeah. in that regard. Yeah, they just, uh, uh, they've done a great job. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Tommy. Kind of an interesting question. If Tommy Kendall was a race car... What kind of race car would he be and why? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I would probably say, you know, you know, they say, you know, people and their pets sort of tend towards yes. each other. Uh-huh. Know? Yeah. I I guess that would probably inform my deal here. I guess I would say I'm a Trans Am car. Cool. And a little bit rough around the edges. <laughs> um, not maybe as polished as some of some of the the newer stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, so I, I guess I guess that you know likes to have fun. That car does everything pretty well. It accelerates, it stops, it turns. So I would say a Trans Am. Trans Am car. car. I, 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 I'm flattering myself there by <laughs> by saying that, but uh, I it, think I get I, it. I, guess I, I would want to be that. How about that? Yeah, I, I think I get it. I like that. I know that. I ask a lot of people that question. They're like, "What the heck is that?" But I get some very interesting answers, and I like it. You answered it very well. So, Tommy, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Hey, Cars Yeah listeners, I have a question. What's the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior? It's with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's the fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft is the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers and they are crafted to fit like a custom suit with over 80,000 patterns available and they're made in the USA. But Covercraft is much more than car covers. Their vehicle protection system protects your cars, motorcycles, watercrafts and RVs, exteriors from the elements and the interiors from the wear and tear of daily life. Car covers, front end masks, dash covers, seat covers, floor mats and much much more. Covercraft offers you a full array of custom accessories made specifically for and styled to complement and protect your special vehicle. Covercraft is the right choice. I use them on all my vehicles, and your special vehicles will love them too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. 
and you can get free shipping when you use the code at checkout cars yeah if you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over congratulations you're ahead of most people but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars talk to chris kimball certified financial planner practitioner for over 20 years he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments and he's a car guy too call 253-722-PLAN or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders or 12 or 16 securities through money concepts capital corp member finra sipic all right, Tommy, we're back and we're entering the last lap. You know what this means. The white flag's out. Time to put our foot into it. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Yes. What's the best racing advice you've ever received and who was it from? Not too different from what my wife told me. And this was, it came from Bobby Unser. And I was talking to him about Indy cars and I was so concerned about my height. He says, listen, he says, if you're so fast, that they can't ignore you, they'll they'll make you fit in the car. So it's a version of the same thing. Make sure you're fast. Yes, make sure you're fast. Good advice from your wife and Bobby. That's very cool. Could you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years in both racing and professional business? It would have to be asking why. When you're trying to get good at something, the tendency is you emulate and you mimic people that are good at it. Mm-hmm. And you can actually get to a really high level, even in racing that way. But it's even more powerful if you understand why that's why that's the best way to do it. Because uh, it yeah. allows you to evolve past where they are, A. And B, it also allows you if a variable is different, it'll it makes you under, it helps you understand how to adjust it. And so, you know, you can you can mimic really well and have pretty good success, but to really be the best and sort of, you know, if you want to raise the game even to a level, higher level than it is now, you need to understand why the things work. And oh, yeah. I think, you know, if you look at Tiger Woods used to invent certain golf shots that didn't exist, I think that's it's a version of the same thing. You need to understand why it works, uh, not just what works. Yeah, the power of why is so, so powerful in all aspects of life. The understanding of why, as you said, so uh, I love the way you answer that. How about a resource? I know there's lots of great resources these days, but is there one or two maybe that you really enjoy? My background, of course, is racing. For young racers, I get asked all the time, you know, they want to have a career in racing. And first thing I tell them is don't because it's so hard. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and and talent doesn't guarantee you anything. Mm -hmm. But safeisfast.com, which is the Mm. Road Racing Drivers Club's uh, website, Bobby Rahal has done an absolutely unbelievable job with that. It's an incredible resource. I think it's, it's at least once a month. It might be more common. They talk to a pro and they talk about racecraft or fitness or mental preparation and visuals. You know, it's it's an incredible resource if you want to have a career in it or if you just want to get better at it. Mm-hmm. Um, Safeisfast.com, which is RRDC. Yes, great site. And how about a book? Is there a book that you've read recently that you'd share with the Cars Yell listeners you think they would really enjoy? Wow. I, most of the books I read are finance and investment related. Hey, that's uh, okay. I've had a lot of great business books recommended, finance books, so that's okay if it's not car related. Uh, 
Mohammed El Arian's new book. It's about central banks. I, I think it's I think it's called The Only Game in Town. Mm. Yellow cover. Mm-hmm. And he was the head of PIMCO for a while. So it's it's a little bit scary if you really digest it. But mm, yeah. uh, but better to be informed than not. Yes. Racing books, they're old and hard to find. But Unfair Advantage, which was Paul Van Valkenburg and Mark Donahue. Oh, yeah. And then Carol Smith's Tune to Win books. Mm. And that was the book I, I referenced when I was learning how to try to set up a car. Tune to Win talked about all these things, and none of which I could feel. But by reading that book over and over, and, and eventually I, I, you know, I was able to cultivate that. So those are good race books. Yeah, great books. Well, listeners, I'll remind you, you can find all these great links that Tommy's been so kind to share on his show notes page at carsyad.com. Just type Tommy in the search bar and that page will pop up. There's a great place on the Cars Yeah website called Guest Recommended Books where these three books and all the past 500 guests, Tommy being the 500th guest, books are listed for quick, easy links to buy. All right, we are up to the checkered flag here, Tommy. This last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage but don't worry about the price today i'll buy you whatever you'd like just because it's my 500 show so you know what i'll do that for you today (laughs) what car or race car would that be and more importantly why well if i had to pick one it's the all sport number 11 mustang the the car that i i drove to the championship in nine that, that chassis i drove the championship in 96 and 97 and 97 was when we had that 11 race win streak which uh Broke Donahue's record stands as the longest win streak in racing history. Oh, cool. So uh, that car is it. I have my beloved chicken car, uh, <laughs> which uh, El Gallo, and he is sitting just outside my little office here in my little man cave. Very cool. And I will have him forever. So if I don't ever get the all-sport car, I do have El Gallo. Oh, nice. Well, I'll make sure I ship that all-sport car over to your man cave garage that you're working on there so you can have them both sitting there that'd be pretty special but uh wow you knew exactly which car you wanted so i like that (laughs) very nice tommy you have taken me on an awesome ride today i can't thank you enough for spending some time on this uh saturday we're recording this show and also for being my milestone 500th guest here on cars yeah very special for me i'm very appreciative And I've really enjoyed your stories and catching up with you and learning a little bit more about you. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you head off down the racetrack in that all-sport number 11 Mustang? Yes, I will get philosophical a little bit here. Cool. Um, I've given each of my nieces when they graduated from high school a Tiffany keychain with this engraved on it. Also, I used to tell this to Danica all the time. Basically, it's, we're so hard on ourselves, and that's what kind of drives us forward, but it also can hold you back in terms of making you uh, stress. It can also make you, uh, I think, choking is behind that. You know, that's what's behind choking. So the mantra is you are perfect for this moment, mm-hmm. meaning everything that has happened to you, the good and the bad, including all your mistakes, brought you right here, and you are perfect for this moment. And so if you really embrace that, it's always true at every given moment. And it also helps kind of clear the deck going forward. Ah, wonderful advice. Yes. Yeah, very special. That's a nice gift from their Uncle Tommy for sure. What's the best way for our listeners to keep up with what you're doing nowadays? Do you have a website? Are you active on social media? Uh, I would say uh, social media, Um, both Twitter and Instagram. I'm a little new to the Instagram game. uh, Tommy Kendall 11, the number 11, Tommy Kendall 11. Okay. Just like the all-sport car uh, at 
so on on both Twitter and Instagram. Okay. And Facebook, my I haven't set up a fan page yet. My personal page, you can try to send me a thing, but it's send me this obnoxious. He's <laughs> at the five thousand friend limit thing. So I yeah. try to clear it out every now and again, and I hope to get a fan page up. But in the meantime. Twitter, and Instagram. There you go. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything Tommy's been so kind to share on his very own show notes page at carsyad.com. Just type Tommy in the search bar, and that page will pop up with his smiling, ever-smiling face there. So make sure you check that out. Tommy, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and with the listeners. It's been great fun. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Congratulations to you on 500. And thanks to you from all your fans. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.